1: Hey, everyone, welcome to Last Drinks. I hope you guys are going well. I hope that you're staying curious. And if you love this podcast, can I ask you to share it with a friend and maybe leave a review because that would be really helpful. I love this process. I love um, the lives that this podcast is reaching and touching and changing is it's why I continue to do it. It's a project of passion for sure. Um, But having that positive feedback and those positive reviews just is going to enable me to, you know, keep pushing on, which is great. So let's get stuck into this week's conversation. Alexa Towersy is Action Alexa. And this woman has a rig like I have never seen in my life. She is so fit. She's an internationally published celebrity trainer. She's been a sports cover model. She's a motivational and mental health speaker, and she has over 16 years of experience in the health and fitness industry. She was born into a military family, and her journey to sobriety started on a mission for muscles, which kind of came about because she was bullied at school for being too skinny. Her nickname was... Actually, I'll let her tell you about it. Alexa's story is big, it's confronting, and I feel really blessed that she has chosen to share so brutally, honestly with me, her story about her sobriety. So please enjoy Last Drinks with Action Alexa. I love how vocal you are in this space, by the way. So can I say, hey, Alexa, do you get that a lot?
2: Actually, not as much as you might think, actually. People could utilize it a lot more, I have to say.
1: Hey, Alexa, and everyone's home (laughs) systems just start freaking out. Um, can, Can you tell me about your last drink? Oh my God, my last drink
2: was, it was literally 14 years ago and it was at my dad's funeral, like the pivot point, the thing that changed everything.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's so heavy. So my dad just passed (gasps) away in May. So I'm like so still in like the grief piece. But tell me about, oh God, it's such a big one. The dad card is a big one. It's a huge card.
2: Look, it was coming for quite some time and I think that was kind of like my rock bottom that really was like that was the point that the game had to change because I honestly and I can say this now with absolute certainty that if I hadn't stopped drinking I would have killed myself just like my dad like it's as simple as that and like my last drink man it was a good one I went to his funeral I drank his last bottle of whiskey I danced on the bar, I fell off the bar, I threw up all over myself, I fell in a ditch, and I missed my flight home to Hong Kong. That was my last drink. So I was a hot mess until I wasn't hot anymore. I was just a mess.
1: That's (laughs) so huge. And Mm. when, like, because I'm navigating grief sober, which is like a really complex and deep, like it's really heavy, Grief just sucks in general. But this is the thing that I've learned about grief, Alexa, in recent times is that grief only exists because of love. And like grief and love are one in the same. And so, like, this dad sized hole in my heart is only there because of the love that I had. And But the complexities with love, with dads and daughters, and, like, I won't even go into it because it's so hectic. Like, it's so dense. I totally know the feeling of, like, loss, grief, despair, and anguish. And so when your only tool is to just get wasted because you cannot process emotions, because no one told you you didn't have to drink, you do go balls to the wall, wild in the aisles, and you end up in this situation that you would have found yourself in.
2: 100%. And it's really, it's really interesting, because I've always, like, up until I quit, I've always led this dual life. Like, I was a duality, you know, like, Starting at the very beginning, when I was 15, two major things happened to me, and neither of them were boobs, unfortunately. (laughs) What a bummer. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But the first thing was that, I know, right, far out, the things we think about now, but the first one was that I was bullied at school for being too skinny. Like, my nickname at school was Alexa Anorexa. So I was like, this tiny slip of a thing. I know, I did not have the flexibility the guns that I do now, you know. Yeah, you are um, ripped,
1: by the way. Like this is yeah. a podcast, but holy smokes, this girl has got jacked some <laughs> so I'm yeah. so glad I'm wearing a turtleneck <laughs> with long sleeves. <laughs> I know, it goes with a chair hey, Far I'd out. wear singlets
2: all the time if I had your <laughs> arms. I have to cover them up sometimes. I feel like it's a little intimidating for it's dating. It's like I'm the confront- girl in the bar. It's I'm the guy bar that the guys asked to arm wrestle. Yeah, arm wrestle. Yeah. They never asked for my number. They want to arm wrestle. But, yeah. you know, so 15, two things happened. First of all, I was bullied for being too skinny. Second thing was my mum was diagnosed with manic depression. And consequently, within two years, she would attempt to take her own life. Now, Holy shit. off the back of this, yeah, I, I went to the gym, not only on a mission for muscles, but I also went to the gym because I needed a safe place that wasn't mm. home
0: because oh, yeah.
2: my home no longer felt like my sanctuary and I was no longer the child. I was the parent in many situations. Yeah, And the gym sort of in the weights room became that place where I felt connected. I felt inspired. I felt empowered. And it was sort of the first time that I really understood the connection between like developing physical strength, but all the mental toughness and the resilience and the mental fortitude that came alongside of that. So that was my first sense of connection. But after my mum's suicide attempt and my intervention there, Mm. my dad turned to the bottom more and more. Like that was his coping mechanism. And right from then on in, he became an alcoholic. And he was a functioning alcoholic until he was just a plain old messy alcoholic until he died of liver cirrhosis as a direct consequence of being an alcoholic and I watched this play out over the next 14 years. So Jeez. my first sense of connection was at the gym. Mm. They say that the opposite of addiction, right, isn't necessarily sobriety, it's connection. It's connection. It's yeah. connection. So I found my first sense of connection at the gym, but I found my second sense of connection when I found my dad's whiskey bottle. And from then on in, I had these two lives. During the week, I would go to the gym on a mission for muscles and feel really empowered with this new community that i had found myself amongst. Mm. But in the weekend, because I was being bullied for being too skinny and I wasn't part of the cool kids, I was sort of trying to find a way to fit in and alcohol became that. That became the way in for me. And Mm. every weekend, I was shit-faced. You know, like I drank my first full hip flask of rum when I was 15 years old, like the whole thing and made myself so sick that I could never ever touch rum again and that's where it began and that was how I dealt with everything. So the gym and then the weekends drinking, drinking myself into oblivion and the saddest thing about this whole thing is that I didn't drink because I liked the taste of alcohol. I drank because I didn't like myself
1: Mm.
2: and that's something that I had to learn how to do over the next 15 years.
1: Do you think it's such a heavy story? And like, thank yeah. you for sharing. That's like a really. There's a lot to unpack there. Um, <laughs> I have big suitcases. <laughs> there's a lot. To unpack. I don't even know where to start. I know. But do you think? Because I, as as complex as this situation yeah. is, I do. Like, I hear your story in so many people's stories. In in saying that this. ability to live this like dual life is it's afforded so easily for us because we can put up all these walls and we can have our gym community over here and we can have our drinking buddies over here and we keep everybody separate because it sounds to me like alcohol gave you relief somehow like it was so the gym is like The gym's not necessarily the relief. And I I mean, I've had my gym journey, not as exciting as your arms, but I've had my own gym journey and it didn't offer me relief. It it did offer me a bit of value, probably like doing something good for myself. It was really good for my mental health. Like I feel that my gym piece was more about my mental health than anything else. And I think for me, alcohol gave me... What I thought was anxiety reducing properties so that I could exist in the circles that I needed to for my work. Because I'm actually an introvert and people think I'm an extrovert. And I thought I was an extrovert until I was like 34. And I had no idea. (laughs) Like, actually, just like being at home alone. (laughs) Yeah. I feel you. I feel you, sister. (laughs) So for you, like the whiskey, was it really, like, what led you to that? Because. It wasn't an introduction like, oh, teenager, sips of wine here, you know, tipples oh. and tipples. It was like hard in whole bottle, like drown it out. So what what do you think that you were searching for that the gym wasn't giving you? Self-esteem
2: and mm. a, a confidence in myself. Like I, I'm the same as you and I think over COVID I really learned as well. Like I'm an extroverted introvert. Yes. But more than anything, oh. like I, yeah, I love being at home. I was always like I'm Action Alexa now, but back then I was Awkward Alexa. You know, I had buck teeth. and went into braces, and I was really skinny. And oh, geez, I you had really... a real rough
1: teenagehood. Hey, I
2: really did. You know, like I was definitely a Lot of Swan. I yeah. was like the ugly duckling from the beginning. You know, and I just, I really didn't know who I was, and I mm. didn't have any really really good friends. Like, I get asked this all the time: Is like, who were your role models when you were growing up? And I hate to say it, but I just didn't have any, like I had to be my role model, Mm. you know? So whenever I think about when all the stuff that I do now in the space around drinking and around mental health, it's because I know what it's like to feel alone and disconnected and isolated and angry at the world. And I wish I could have given myself like my 15 year old self, the advice Mm. And the lived experience that I have now to be like, you know what? You're going to be okay. And everyone is going through this and you don't necessarily need to do the things that you're doing to fit in because the right people, like you'll find the right people without all of this stuff.
1: Yeah. And like Um, you really went through, you know, at 15 to have your parents not able to parent you, you know, like then you have to do, it's that. Like role reversal where all of a sudden you're worrying about your parents' welfare, mental health, well-being, where are they, what's going on? And that is so much pressure on a kid. A kid, really, at 15, you're yeah. still a kid, right? You didn't even have boobs, for God's sake. Like you're just still a kid. <laughs> yeah. But you're taking on the weight of the world The roles and responsibilities that are not designated or designed for a teenage brain And in a way, you got robbed of this piece that you do when you're a teenager where your prefrontal cortex isn't even developed. You can't even make good decisions. Yet somehow (laughs) you're forced into this place where you have to. So of course you want relief. Of course you want to like forget it all because it's too hard basket. I totally get why you reach for the bottle. So your drinking went from zero to hero, it sounds like, and then you just continue on. So was it it anything in particular, and this might be a heavy question, is it anything in particular about your dad passing away that was the catalyst for you to stop? Or was it more about your behavior and the way that you dealt with him passing away?
2: Look, I was... I was your best friend when I was drunk. Like I was the life of the party. You know, I'm the girl that you want at all your events because I'm at the bar ordering everyone tequila shots and having the time of my life until all of a sudden I'm passed out drunk and having blackouts the next day. So... That was a huge realization for me is that I was no longer in control of what I was doing when I was drinking. Like mm. I call it self-loathing Sundays because there's kind of two parts to your question here that I'll have to answer. The first one is that I really hated who I became the day after I drank. Okay. So self-loathing Sundays, I absolutely hated myself because, you know, I would do stupid things. I would tell people secrets. I would get involved in conflict where I didn't need to be there. I would ghost people. I would smoke vomit. I didn't tell people I was going home. I would put myself into dangerous situations. Um, and I, you know, and no one would ever know what was going on with me. And I remember like one of my, I mean, this is a claim to fame actually, but one of my friends at the time was, was, was dating Jacinda Arden's now partner oh, that's <laughs> she fun. was dating him that's and a I fun connection he, isn't it he would love to hear this story but he actually came up to me one night when I was really drunk and was like you know Alexa your friends love you but you make it really hard for them when you're drunk
1: wow
2: and I just remember sitting there and just being drunk already and having someone say something so confronting and then crying and then drinking some more because I wanted to forget mm. what he'd said to me. You know, so I knew that my behavior when I was drunk was a problem long before I started, long before I, you know, decided I had to quit. But from my dad's side, I had watched this 15-year journey that was heartbreaking. Mm. And there was a moment when I was at university and I came back to his place one day because by that stage, he'd sort of started taking sick days. You know, he was no longer the functioning, the high-performing alcoholic. He'd sort of turned into the guy who, Work knew that he was drinking, he was having a few too many sick days. You could kind of see the end of the road with that, but he didn't quite believe that they knew what was going on yet. But you could just see Mm. what was happening. He just didn't like his life and he didn't see a reason to be there anymore. Like I was the only thing left for him. And I remember turning up one day and him already drunk, middle of the day, hadn't gone to work. And he was like, Can you go to the alcohol store for me? And I was like, No. I'm not being an enabler. Mm. And he was basically like, well, if you don't go, I'm going to drive myself. And he was drunk. And I was (sighs) screaming at him and I was upset and I was like, do you not understand that you're killing yourself? And don't you understand that you're never going to walk me down the aisle and you're never going to give a father speech at my wedding and you're never going to see any grandkids and you're just killing yourself and this is so unfair. And he just turned around to me and he was like, Alexa, I wish I could tell you, that I loved you enough to stop, but I can't.
1: Oh my God.
2: I know. know. And it's like, it just broke my heart. Mm. And I was like, it was the first time I really understood that you can't guilt someone out of addiction. You can't shame them out of it. And you Mm. can't love them out of it either. Like that was the point. I was like, well, I have two choices here. I either have to just accept that this is who my dad is and support him in whatever he needs here and just make the most out of the time that we have left together because at the rate he's going there's not going to be long or I let the relationship go and I just couldn't do that. I was like it would break my heart even more to think that he would have to go through the rest of his life hating everything the way he did and be alone doing it.
1: It's such an interesting point because you can't love someone out of it. like. It and it's so it's hard to sit on the sidelines, especially when you're on this side of sobriety, right? And you're like, this is the dream, this is actually the secret to life, this is the secret, Byrne Um, But because you have to love yourself out of it,
2: you're never going to get anyone to quit before they're ready. Like, and I've had over the years so many clients and so many like colleagues who've seen my journey and been like, "What's the biggest piece of advice?" And like, "I want to lose weight. What if I stop drinking?" And I'm like, you know what? If this is why you're doing it, like for these purely aesthetic reasons, or there's really superficial beliefs about yourself, or it's a temporary thing, you're never going to get there. Like you need to, you need to know your why. Yeah, you know, and you need to be at a point where, I think, and this is the sad reality, is that for most people, the consequences of their drinking aren't enough mm. that they're forced to make a change. That's I've right. I you know, like I'd had these huge two huge things. It was like my relationships were suffering. My work was suffering. People were noticing that I was out of control when I was drinking and I knew my behavior was not good. And then on the other side, I also had, I do not want to be my dad, Mm. you know, and I don't want to be my dad's dad or my dad's brother who all died of alcoholism. I was like, I'm not going down the same route as the rest of this family connection. I'm not going to be that person. And, you know, when I first told my then partner who I obviously met out while I was drunk Mm. Um, when I told him then that I was like, you know, I turned him after the funeral. I was like, I'm never drinking again. And like so many people would have that same conversation every Sunday morning until the next week. And he was exactly that until next weekend. And I was yeah. like, no, 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 you don't understand. This is it.
1: Yeah. You had the aha moment. And I it's do. interesting too, because so many people do have these, like, I don't like using the term rock bottom, but like, cause I don't see. It's like a black hole. Yeah, or like a crossroads even. Like you get to these, it's a junction. It's not like a, because like there's rock bottom. Sometimes you think it's rock bottom and then the bottom falls out of rock bottom. (laughs) So what's that? Like rock, rock bottom? Like how many rock, rock, rock bottoms do you need before you realise that like this is just not working and so it's a crossroads because it's a decision. And I think when we do these like things where we're like, well, it's not that, it's not that, I'm not as drunk as Alexa. So like, I don't, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah, we 100%. do all of this justification stuff where we go, well, it's not that bad. So then if it's not that bad, then I'm like, this'll do, this is okay. But the problem with that is that you're the only person that can get yourself out of your own mess. No one else, like you can lean on someone, you can be accountable to someone, but you have to do the work and you are the person that has to stop putting alcohol in your mouth. That's the, yes. That is the sum total and the simplicity of it. But that is so difficult for so many people, even though the hangover, the shame, the guilt, the sleeplessness, like all of the knock-on negative effects of drinking are sometimes not enough. How did you stop drinking then? (laughs) Because it doesn't sound like it would have been easy for you at all.
2: Well, it's, I think that why was so powerful for me that it's probably a lot easier than a lot of other people's journey to sobriety. But I was lucky in the sense that like I was sort of, I was living in Hong Kong at the time and that place is like party central. You can do whatever you want, whenever you want to do it. And, um, but I worked within, I'd sort of, cause I'd gone over to Hong Kong on a PR contract. So I was drunk all the time cause I was doing PR for three bars. So I was literally just drunk all the time. That that was part of my job. Wow. So yeah, I went back to Hong Kong and one of the girls within sort of an extended circle of friends, she had been an addict and she had gone through four years of drug and alcohol rehabilitation. Like her parents had basically sent her off to rehab and One of the days she came into the gym and I was like, right, I need to know how to navigate this. Like, how did you do it? Because one of my outlets is gone. I've got training and that's fine. But I am so angry and frustrated and anxious all the time now because I feel like I've lost part of myself, part of what I used to do, part of what I was familiar with. Um, You know, what do you do with all the extra emotion? And she was like, you have to find another purpose you have to find a focus in something that's bigger than yourself and I actually ended up joining a triathlon club okay and this was like the game changer for me like I can truly turn back now and say fitness probably saved my life because I got into half Ironman and it took me two and a half years so for the first six months I didn't go out but it was okay because in the weekends I was racing I was training six to eight hours a day I'd had, you know, I had a new focus. I had something to do that didn't mean I was home alone, sitting there with FOMO while everyone else was out getting drunk. And then more importantly, I had created this entirely new social circle for me Yeah. that some of them had had their own journey through it. Some of them had their own lived experience. They could absolutely relate. And they wanted to support me to be the best version. Like they just got it. So it turned mm. from, I could now go out and we would talk transition times over a Diet Coke. You know, probably sounds really boring to everyone else out there. But for me, that was kind of like the game changer. And in the two and a half years that I had that as a focus, by the time I'd finished it, I mean, I guess you could say that I essentially initially replaced one addiction with another. Yeah. But two and a half years later, I didn't need either.
1: Yeah. So when I
2: quit Half Man, I didn't miss alcohol either. And it was one of those moments when you realize how far you come when... You know, sometimes you go out to a bar and if you're socializing with people that you used to hang out with and they're always like, come on, Alexa, have one drink. Like you used to be so fun. I'm like, I'm still fun. But essentially what they're doing is like they're trying to justify their own behavior because totally. you're a mirror for them. Yep. And they're so confronted by your own lifestyle choices because mm-hmm. they potentially know that there's something going on with them, but they're not at a point where they want to address it or think they need to address it yet. So it's really, you're now confronting for them. Yeah. And then one day I went out and, you know, there's always that moment where you're like, oh, well, one drink hurt. Oh, I know for me, one drink can't have it. Don't like the taste of alcohol. Never drank because I liked the taste. I drank Mm. because I wanted to be drunk. Mm. So what's the point of one drink? I knew that once I started, it was like a slippery slope and that was the end. And then one day I went out and I was like, not even interested. Yeah. Like they were like, come on, have one drink. And I was like... Not no, I don't. I don't drink. And they're like, "Oh my god, why?" And I'm like, "Because my dad died of alcoholism." And they're like, "Oh, my- yeah, yeah."
1: That's one of the. <laughs> that's one of the reasons that you don't really get like much pushback on. No. You know, like if <laughs> it's a really in-your-face reason. Because yeah. if it, sometimes it's like, "Why aren't you drinking?" It's like, "Oh, I'm just having some time off." And they're like, "Well, just have one." Mm-hmm. but when you say like, "My dad died of alcoholism," like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> There's no comeback from that. I changed the topic now. (laughs) Um, You made a really good point that over time you stopped thinking about alcohol. So for you, like, Mm. yeah, maybe you did replace one addiction with another, but eventually you got to a point where you don't think about it, you can go to a bar and it's like you don't even, like you forget that alcohol exists. And I think that that's really important to encourage people who are early on in their sobriety because I remember when I first stopped drinking I was like, all I thought about was like, I'm not oh, yeah. drinking. I'm not drinking. I'm not drinking. <laughs> like, what am I doing? And but and you know what I mean. And then eventually, over time, when you've you've done like, I cleaned out the cupboards in my kitchen, and I did you know all these different things to fill the time because there's so much freaking time when you're not getting wasted. Um, and then eventually, eventually, you stop actually thinking about. It's like it's the same thing as when you break up with a partner. If you spend all of your time in a relationship with someone, like the first few weeks are really hard because yeah. you're so used to being with them and you miss them. Even if they were toxic, you miss them and you're alone and they're, they're not there. And then eventually you forget about it. And then eventually you're like, why the hell was I with that idiot? And that's, that's sort of same. how I think when you liken your your drinking behaviour to a relationship and kind of apply the same philosophy as a breakup on it, it might be a little bit helpful because there's comfort in knowing that the day comes when you don't think about it, that you can actually go to a bar and it's not even a big deal. And your sober response is whatever it is. And even if there is pushback, you just don't care anymore because it's not a part of your existence.
2: Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing for a lot of people is, that's why I say like the why you need to know why you're doing it because your response when you're out has to be so powerful that you really don't care what other people think. And you, mm. they could spend half an hour trying to convince you to have another drink, but you really are truly not interested. Whereas if it's yeah. like a, you're doing a challenge or you're trying to lose weight or, you know, someone's mentioned to you that you might have had a few too many drinks last time and you're like trying to rein it back, none of those are strong enough to really be like, no, I'm really like, I'm good, thanks, but feel free to go and get one for yourself.
1: Yeah, and that's really important because I always say to people, don't apologise for your sobriety because something that I did early on is because I just due to my job, I kind of couldn't just become like non-social because a lot of my work stuff was like out of hours commitments and meetings and events and stuff. But I found myself people were like, "Do you want me to get your drink?" I'm like, "No, sorry, I'm just not drinking." And I would be like, "Oh, sorry, I'm sorry." And then eventually, I was like, "I'm not sorry. I'm, <laughs> I'm what am I apologising to you for?" So I and I remember distinctly like switching my response uh, to what you said, like, "I'm good, thanks," and full stop. Happy to have the awkward silence. <laughs> And see what happens, you know, but I was such a space filler because I work in radio, right? So like my, yeah. like dead air is just not good. So I'm always constantly filling those awkward spaces in conversations and I would do it with apologies. And then when I stopped doing that, it was really powerful because I remember it was like the first time that I felt proud and empowered about my choice rather than like, oh, I'm, this is this weird thing that I'm doing and I I'm sorry if it makes you feel uncomfortable and I'm uncomfortable, but like, And the second that I stopped apologising and I was like, no, I'm good. It was just this really like in-your-face statement and it became and then I feel like that was my encouragement to then stop apologising and just start doing the sobriety piece and being okay. That was me getting okay with it as well, I think.
2: That's. I mean, that's awesome. But, yes, so many people never, ever get to that point. And it's really sad. Like I say to people now, I'm like, you know, imagine if this was you stop being the person. Like, how would you feel if you were speaking to someone and you knew that by you, you know, encouraging them to have a drink because you wanted the justification. Imagine if they fell off the wagon, how would you feel about yourself? Would you feel like you were a good person for doing that? Like, is that Mm. something that you want to be responsible for doing? And they'd be like, Oh no, 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 no. It's like, well, that's exactly what you're doing though. Yeah. You know, like it's, it's awesome that we can sit here and take responsibility for the fact and like take ownership of the fact that we've done this incredible thing that we are so proud of. And it does Mm. require strength and courage, you know, to be a little uncomfortable and put yourselves in those situations where, you know, there's going to be, you know, some judgment, Mm. but also on the other side of that, the other people need to take responsibility and ownership for their own choices yeah. Because, you know, what they're choosing to do has nothing to do with you. You know, and if you were that comfortable with who you are, you wouldn't be trying to encourage somebody else to join you in the first place.
1: Well, that's it. And it's not helpful. Just FYI, no. anyone who's listening who's been that guy, yeah. I've been that guy where. Me too. Yeah, you know, and I feel bad, but I was an idiot. So, okay. <laughs> what, Me too. Like back in the day when yeah. I was, you know, definitely at the bar a lot longer than what I should have been and somebody would say they're going home and I'd be like, don't go home. Like I was that guy. Oh. But then when that guy was being that guy to me when I was sober, I was like, well, this isn't helpful. And also no. like I remember this is one of my favourite stories to, to tell. Like in early sobriety I went to a friend's housewarming party with like a whole bunch of workmates and I wasn't drinking and I was super, super early in sobriety but I went because it's my mate and housewarming party. And it just got to like, and and Pitbull had this terrible song called Fireball. And so they play Fireball and they get out a (laughs) bottle of Fireball tequila and then the shots would come out. And so they, like, they put on Fireball and everyone's got a shot of tequila. And this grown adult human man um, went to give me a shot of tequila and I was like, in my hand. And I was like, no, I'm like, I'm not drinking. Like, I'm just, I'm not just, I'm not doing shots like I'm doing the, I'm doing this hand signal which doesn't work on a podcast, but I'm like, I'm saying no deal, right? No deal, um, with my hands, and he's trying to give me this shot, and the song goes on, and then everyone does the shot, and I'm just there, just going woo, like, and then at the end, he like came up to me, he was so angry, and he was like, you ruined the song, and I'm like, well, actually, I didn't because I wasn't singing. If I was singing, I would have ruined it, but because I can't sing, but I was like, no, I'm like. What talking about mate and he goes oh you didn't do a shot of fireball in the south thing and i was like i i was like i have not had a drink of alcohol for 21 days and if i was going to have a drink it would not be a shot of fireball with you and with that i pretty much like turned on my heel and i was like i'm done and i just left the party because i was like that is such bullshit to have someone. He, like, yelled in my face. This, like, adult person was so angry at me. And it's not that it, like, made me feel bad or it didn't make me reconsider my choice to be sober either. If anything, it just added this whole, (laughs) like, well, I am so sober. Like, (laughs) in your face, bitch. Like, I was so mad. But then the, you know what? I got in my car and I was like, I'm in my car. I can drive home because I haven't been drinking. It's 8 PM and I'm driving home because (laughs) I haven't had a shot of fireball. And I'm going to go to bed early and wake up in the morning and go for a walk on the beach. And I'm going to feel amazing. And it just like reinforced to me, like all of the good choices that I was making for myself, but I'll never forget it. Like, and it's not that that person made me feel all these things. I used it, like I spun it into a positive, but it, it just made me realize, like, I've been that person and it's not helpful. Like, just don't ever yell at somebody for being sober. It doesn't help.
2: And I tell you what, I do not miss the DNMs that you have drunk either oh. where, like, you're actually spitting on each other's faces because you're that close and you're that passionate about what you're talking about. And you think it's like the best conversation in the world. You wake up in the morning and go, seriously, what the fuck was I talking about? Yes. Like, what is that? um yeah I don't miss those at all and then someone reminds you of what you were saying and I was like oh dear god I mean I've been in a situation where literally the day after at home with my partner and I get a phone call from a soccer player that I met out the night before and I've given my phone number to the soccer player and I'm just about to go on holiday with my then partner and he's like who is calling and I'm like just this guy I met last night like I gave him my number because I thought we could go and play soccer and my boyfriend's just standing there going are you fucking joking? No. <laughs> so,
0: we and don't here I do am that. in my
2: own head, justifying it. I'm like, oh, but I was drunk, as if that's an excuse for every piece of bad behavior. Yeah. You know, like, and this is my thing with you know, dry July and sober October. Like, we sit here and we speak about how awesome our lives are and how great we feel and all the good things we get done. And, you know, when we're sober, and mm-hmm. yet at the end of the month. What do we end up celebrating with? We go out and get yeah. absolutely shit-faced and poison ourselves. yeah, Like literally poison ourselves to celebrate all the good work and all the awesome ways in which we felt. And I'm just like, how? Why do we do this to ourselves?
1: Yeah, and I think that's a good point. Like I remember when I was trying to like get a handle on my relationship with alcohol, I would do Dry July and I would love it and it was the best mm. excuse. I'm like, oh, I'm doing Dry July. It's all good. I would have a very wet August and it was never, (laughs) it's exactly that. I'd be like, I got through dry July, so I'm going to get shit faced tonight. Like it's so, but until, and this is the sober curiosity bit, right? Like until you're starting to question this stuff and become aware of it, you just go, you just think you're ticking a box. You're like, I did dry July, which means I can handle my relationship with alcohol. I'm fine. And then we carry on until the next you know, peace, but you know, I think it's so important to share these stories of longevity in sobriety and the knock on positive impacts and the benefits because after four weeks of not drinking, yeah, you feel great. After three months of not drinking, it's a different thing. After six months, after a few years, you can't even actually explain it. Like the paradigm shift, the mental clarity, um, like how much you achieve, what you get done. Like you actually curate a brand new life for yourself and you can only do it in sobriety. You can't do it when you're flipping and flapping between having a month off and then just like surviving and getting through. And so you have to draw that line in the sand and go through the door and just keep going through the freaking door to see what it looks like. And and I think like I don't want to say that that's a willpower thing because it's a simple choice thing. It's like I'm I'm not drinking.
2: And that's Full again, stop. the why, like you need yeah. to know why you're doing it for yourself. hundred percent. And you also need to start thinking about the people that you're surrounding yourself with, because yeah. if you're trying to make a choice that's trying to better you and trying to make your life better, and you have people around you that aren't really on board with your choice because it affects them or they believe it affects them in some way, like they've mm. lost their wingman in the weekends or, mm. you know you're not doing all the things or you're not making a fool out of yourself. You're not the entertainment at the party anymore. You're not the person that's going to justify their existence when they're out. If they're not on board with your journey, you kind of really need to reassess their position in your life.
1: hundred percent. And
2: what I found is that the minute I started making these choices, it would kind of like, I would find myself with the opportunities to meet new people who were making better choices who supported my new lifestyle and yeah. the more I did that the more I would open myself up to a whole other network of people and all another range of opportunities like both career relationship you know adventures everything because now I was starting to curate that new life and it's true like it's kind of like your vibe attracts your tribe and the yeah. minute you're really sure about the choices that you're making and that you're in this new life, you will start attracting the opportunities and the people that want to be there for the right reasons.
1: Yeah, that's an you know? awesome point. And also people who are scared of losing their friends, like that's a big thing, yeah. right? Because you, you surround yourself with I did lose my friends. Yeah. Like, same, it's social but it's, suicide. Yeah, but glad. Because yeah. those like bless them, you know, I and when I say loser, I just mean like I'm still in touch. Like we're just not super tight because we just don't get drunk and have DNMs three nights a week anymore. <laughs> no one's
2: spitting on your face anymore. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, we don't do that to each other.
2: Try dating sober. No. Because that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> I tell you what, like back in those days, a boyfriend was literally like a drunken night in a taxi ride away. Yeah. Now, whole different ball game. And the amount of guys who don't understand that you don't want to meet them for a drink as a first date. Like it's yes. a real conversation stopper. Yes, that would be. So it's very interesting.
1: Mm. Mm. Well, I'm glad, I'm kind of glad I never had to do <laughs> yeah. that. Don't get divorced. Yeah. I've already been divorced, so, you know, I'm not planning on having another one. there and done it. there you go. And you wonder why I drank. (laughs) Jesus, Alexa. Um, But, yeah, I just think if people are worried about losing friends and, like, that, yeah, that is a part of it. But I'm not friends with the person who I went to daycare with. And I'm not friends necessarily with people who I knew in primary school. I've got, like, two friends from high school pretty much. I've got some friends from my early 20s. I've got a couple, like, and now my life, because I've got a three-year-old, I've got a lot of new friends who are mums. And I think in each season of life, you have people that there's a couple that you take on the journey of life with you, but not very many. And so the people that you're hanging out with now, probably not going to be around in 10 years time for whatever reason anyway, because you're going to get a job in a different country or marry somebody and move or whatever. And so these people that you think maybe as just your life force, just it's not actually that much of a huge deal to have friendships for a reason, a season, or a lifetime. And most of them are reason season. And if your season in drinking is up, you may have to say goodbye. And I found too I didn't write goodbye letters to those people. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I can no longer socialise with you. It was like it just fizzles out. It just naturally fizzles out. And a, like two of my really good girlfriends, still, they still, you know, dabble in, in drinking Um, But we catch up for brunch, like we, and I just don't do that. And we still have a beautiful friendship. In fact, it's a deeper, more connected, real friendship than ever. And we just do like a different socializing piece. There's a, there's a lot to navigate, but I don't think like, don't get overwhelmed with like, oh my God, I have to like say goodbye to all these people. They will just naturally end if they need to, or those people will just get on board and support you. And they're the real friends that you want. In, in your lifetime anyway, right?
2: Well, 100%. Like the group of friends I have now, like Uber Alexa is the best designated driver around. You know,
1: yes. they're the people that are at the bar
2: getting me a drink, you know, of water or a soft drink and they know that I'm their ride home. So it's like, it's a it's a two-way street and those people are really important. And you're right, you know, um, the right people will stick around. And, you know, for me, my group of friends, they I just stopped getting invited to all the wild parties. Yeah you know, because I was no longer the entertainment. So people sort of after a while, they start inviting other people who are, you know, up for dancing on tables. Not that I don't dance on tables now. Like I can still go out and have a good time. And I think that's the other thing is that being an introvert or, you know, if you are lacking in self-esteem or you are lacking in self-confidence, it's really sad to think that you'll go your whole life and never find that confidence by yourself, that Mm. your confidence will always come from a crutch, Yeah, you know? It's really like, that makes me sad for people. Like I had 14 years to break myself down and build myself up, figure out what I didn't like, why I didn't like it, what I had to fix, um, what I had to work through. And now I know myself. I know what I'm worth. I know what I bring to the table. I know exactly who I am and I'm really comfortable with that. And that's something that I never had while I was drinking.
1: I love that. I say sobriety is self-care, self-love and self-worth all tied up in this beautiful little package and you, you cannot get that until you fully tap in and commit and go, we're doing the sobriety bit and then you figure out that that's actually caring for you. And then out of the care, you get a sense of worth and out of the worth, you can love yourself. And it's this just beautiful feedback loop that gets better and better. And you are a living, breathing example of that. Mm -hmm. I love
0: my life. I love that
1: for you. (laughs) Um, I love your life too.
0: (laughs) Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well.